0: Welcome to Voices, the EISA podcast, the space for cutting-edge research in the discipline of international relations, and the audible companion to EISA, the European International Studies Association. This podcast sets the stage for deeper insights into award-winning papers, books and theses as much as it provides a room for the critical engagement with key concepts in political and sociological thought. Voices, the EISA podcast, feeds your reading lists, makes cutting-edge IR research audible. Hello and welcome to Voices, the EISA podcast. My name is Judith Koch and I'm delighted to be hosting yet another Voices episode. Today we continue digging into Marxist theory, precisely into uneven and combined development, short UCD, an idea that originated in the writings of Leon Trotsky, most explicitly in the opening chapter of his History of the Russian Revolution of 1932. Over the past almost two decades, UCD has gained considerable attention, both within IR and historical sociology. It has ever since drawn remarkable attention, as UCD aims to incorporate the international into social theory and tries to make sense of non-linear forms of development. UCD has thus been deployed and rethought to address various problematiques in IR, ranging from anarchy to the rise of capitalism, pre-modern society, non-Western modernities and Eurocentrism. The latest wave is opening up multiple new directions, including ecology, literary theory, science fiction, colonial state formation, liberation philosophy, and temporal ideologies, just to name a few. UCD was introduced into the discipline of IR at the 1995 Deutscher Memorial Lecture by Professor Justin Rosenberg, who until today is one of the, if not the most groundbreaking thinker in UCD. Justin Rosenberg is emeritus professor at the University of Sussex. He decisively established UCD as a major ongoing research program in IR and finds himself among the largest concentration of researchers on UCD until today in the IR department at Sussex. What more's there for me to say than that I'm more than honoured to welcome you, Justin Rosenberg, as my today's guest. A very warm welcome to you, Justin. Hello. Hi,
1: Judith, and thanks for having me on this podcast. It's great to have this opportunity to talk about UCD with you.
0: Great, thank you. So before we get into the theory of UCD itself... I would like to ask you, Justin, how you situate your own trajectory in the broader intellectual context of Marxist scholarship. You started out with a critique of realist and neorealist theories of IR. How did your move towards CCD come about? And by what, or maybe by whom even, was it inspired most?
1: So uh, I did my PhD at LSE from 1988 to 92. Uh, Fred Halliday was my supervisor, and he was already using historical sociology to open up space in IR for a non-sectarian version of Marxism. But I also had an unofficial supervisor who was even more influential, actually. This was Simon Bromley, my friend from undergraduate days at Cambridge. It was Simon who first introduced me to social theory and who showed me how to appreciate Marx as a really deep social thinker. And that's why my PhD thesis, which became the Empire of Civil Society, was focused directly on Marx's ideas, rather than going via Gramsci, which was the most popular Marxist approach at the time. So far as I know, the Empire of Civil Society remains the only monograph in English which uses Marx's core ideas, above all the social theory of value, to produce an alternative IR theory. And this meant that while I was writing it, I always felt somehow external to the Leninist and Gramscian and Wallersteinian currents, which had previously defined Marxism in international relations. But having said that, my own thinking back then had one massive thing in common with all these other approaches. I assumed that we could reason from domestic social structures to explain geopolitical systems. and That meant that I thought that a theory of capitalism was more or less all you needed, in order to understand modern international relations. And this is what changed when I found out about uneven and combined development. But it came about, actually, in quite a funny way, because when I finished my PhD, I imagined it as the first of two volumes. The second volume was going to reconstruct the history of capitalist international relations from the late 18th century onwards. And I was planning to do this by using an idea which I called combined and uneven development. And this was actually a rather conventional Marxist idea. First, capitalism, with its global expansion, combines the whole world into a single process of development. And then, of course, it reproduces at the international level the unevenness or inequality that it has already created within society. So I had no idea at this point that there was an actual theory of uneven and combined development, which was intellectually much more radical than this. But then what happened was that Empire of Civil Society, it was published in 1994, and it won the Isaac Deutscher Memorial Prize. Now, I was aware that Deutscher had written a three-volume biography of Leon Trotsky, and I thought, well, this is the time to read it. So I did, and that changed everything, because, of course, what I found there was not the theory of combined and uneven development that I'd been planning, but something actually much more interesting, the theory of uneven and combined development. They sound very similar, but the difference actually is huge. Instead of being all about the impact of capitalism on international relations, UCD was all about the impact of international relations on the course of capitalist world development. And it turned out that this international dimension had made a huge difference that explained all kinds of otherwise paradoxical things, like why the Socialist Revolution had come not in the West, but in late developing Russia, why it had then spread only in third world countries, what that meant for the meaning of the Cold War, which had just ended, and so on. So I set all this out in a preliminary way in the Deutsche Memorial Lecture in 1995. And I think it's no exaggeration to say that my entire intellectual career since then has been about trying to get to the bottom of this simple idea of uneven and combined development. What makes it so powerful and how can it realise its potential both in IR and beyond?
0: Thank you. So obviously, you diverted from CUD, combined and uneven development, and ever since, luckily, stick to UCD. But you say, or you just said, that UCD is a simple idea. Can you briefly set out what the theory of UCD is, which you found in Trotsky's writings?
1: Sure. The key elements of this theory really are very simple, and I think you can summarize them in four basic steps. First, Trotsky's starting point was that modern capitalist development was internationally uneven. It began in different countries at different times. And as a result of this, countries at different levels of development then coexisted with each other in real time. The second step is that this coexistence produced two international factors which changed how these societies evolved, especially the late developing ones. And these factors were, of course, the whip of external necessity and the privilege of historic backwardness. The whip forced late developing societies to change course and industrialize if they wanted to keep their independence. And the privilege meant that because they were industrializing later, they could import ideas and technologies which had already been invented elsewhere without having to reinvent them for themselves. And these two international causes, the whip, And the privilege led to a third step in the argument. They meant that there was no unilinear path which all societies had to follow. And this was not just because late developers could leapfrog stages by importing advances from other countries, it was also because when a semi-feudal state imported the latest ideas from outside, they got combined with social arrangements and ideologies and technologies which belonged, as it were, to an earlier era. Now, Trotsky called this combined development. And he argued that it had produced a hybrid form of society with its own political dynamics, which could open up entirely new and unexpected political possibilities. And it was this that enabled him to predict a socialist revolution in Russia, even though that should have been impossible because Russia was not yet even a capitalist society. And this then leads to the fourth step, because by producing this revolution, international factors changed not only the course of development inside Russia, they also changed the shape of world history as a whole. Because, of course, Marx had predicted that the socialist revolution could happen only in the most advanced capitalist countries. And these events challenged any such unilinear theory of that kind. So UCD is a theory that identifies the radical significance of the international for understanding social and historical change. It uncovers distinctively international causes, like the whip and the privilege, and it traces how these alter the inner structures of societies and what new political openings this creates. So to put it simply, according to Trotsky, if you want to understand modern world development, a pure theory of capitalism is not enough. You have to incorporate the international as well. And that incorporation of the international into Marxist theory is what Trotsky's original theory of UCD was all about.
0: Mm, Thank you. So let's talk a bit more about your Application of the theory, like Marxist and neo Marxist approaches, including world systems theory and neo Gramscian approaches have long challenged IR's ahistorical abstraction of geopolitics from wider societal processes. You have addressed this challenge by revisiting and reappropriating UCD as the cornerstone of an alternative perspective to the neo-realist paradigm in IR. Could you please explain how you mobilised and advanced the idea of UCD, a concept that, as you already said, originally traces to Leon Trotsky?
1: Yes. So I would say that before 1995 the theory of UCD was held back by three main things. First, it was buried inside a Marxist political doctrine called permanent revolution, which made it inaccessible and even off-putting to a lot of people. Secondly, it was itself only a fragment of a theory because Trotsky never worked it out systematically. And then thirdly, somewhere in the 1970s, it had largely stopped being applied to real-world events, so it badly needed updating. So in order to mobilise and advance the idea of UCD, all three of these obstacles had to be overcome. It had to be released from the sectarian Marxist context of its original formulation. It had to be identified and set out as a theory in its own right. And it had to be brought back into active use, both for explaining historical events and by comparing it with other other theories in order to test its strengths and weaknesses. Now, to some extent, everyone who's been working on UCD has been doing all three of these things all the time from the start. But let me take them one by one, anyway, uh, starting with the sectarian context. Looking back from today, it's amazing, really, to think that originally UCD was not an independent idea. Even in Trotsky's writings, It functioned really as a sub-theory of his political doctrine of permanent revolution. And maybe this is part of the reason that UCD has been so neglected, because not only is it half buried in hundreds of pages of political polemics, but also it comes with all the baggage of the Bolshevik revolution and how it degenerated into totalitarianism. So the first task then is to separate it off from the doctrine of permanent revolution and to to consider it as a social theory in its own right. And the main way to achieve this has actually been to move straight on to the second task, which is to reassemble the key components of UCD as a theory. These components include the general premise of unevenness, the whip of external necessity and the privilege of historic backwardness, the phenomenon of combined development, the re and skipping of stages of development and the role of all of these in pushing what Trotsky called the social structure of humanity away from any unilinear trajectory. And this second task, reassembling the theory, has actually been the biggest labour. And that's because the further you dig into UCD as an idea, the larger its implications seem to become. So at first... It looks like it's just a historical argument about the international causes of the Russian Revolution. But then you realise that it presupposes a wider claim about the role of international relations in shaping world capitalist development as a whole. And it gets even bigger when you think about Trotsky's famous claim that unevenness is the most general law of the historic process. Trotsky never developed this claim but its implication is that human history has always involved a multiplicity of interacting social formations, and that therefore UCD is not just a theory of modern capitalist development, it's a formula for uncovering the role of intersocietal relations in all periods and all regions of the world. But that means, in turn, that it is also a profound innovation in social theory as well because it's a theory that finally reunites internal and external causation in a single framework. And not only does that break down the barrier between international theory and social theory, which has been such a problem on both sides, but in doing so, it also provides a general formula for overcoming methodological nationalism across the social sciences and humanities. So I guess the key point here is that when you set out UCD in its own right, it turns out to be not just a mid-range theory, but a many-sided intellectual paradigm, like world systems analysis or post-colonial theory, which can be applied to all kinds of subject matters and intellectual problems. And then finally, of course, you have to apply it to more and more historical cases in order to show what it can explain. In my own work, this started with the Deutsche Memorial Lecture in 1995, which argued that UCD could provide a completely alternative understanding of the Cold War. In 2005, I applied it to the process of globalisation in the 1990s. In subsequent articles, I've used it to analyse the French Revolution, the First World War, the Bolshevik Revolution, and most recently, I co-authored an article with Chris Boyle called Understanding 2016. And there we try to bring the theory up to date by using it to explain Brexit and Trump in terms of the rise of China in the history of uneven development on a world scale. Meanwhile, Neil Davidson applied it to the Scottish Enlightenment and to modernism as an art form. Cameron Martin has applied it to political Islam. And of course, Alex Anyevas and Kerem Nisanglioklu wrote a whole book applying it to the origins of capitalism and the rise of the West. And then finally, in the course of all this, UCD has also been advanced by using it to engage critically with other approaches, such as political realism, orthodox Marxism, post-colonial theory, world systems theory, and so on. So by the end of this process, we have a version of UCD today which is no longer the exclusive property of revolutionary Marxism, which has been elaborated into a general social theory, which conceptualizes the international in a way that overcomes methodological nationalism and which has been used to provide new explanations of events in many different historical periods.
0: Great, thank you so much. So let's move on to the, like, the real merits of UCD as opposed to other Marxist approaches. So existing Marxist contributions have examined how capitalist development structures international relations, and UCD goes beyond this epistemological horizon by also examining the fact that there are several coexisting social formations that have influenced the form and politics of international capitalist development itself, as you just explained. You found in the principle of unevenness the most general law of the historical process, and thus the sociological origin of social and political multiplicity. So what are the sociological implications of this insight for the study of international relations? And what does UCD therefore allow us to understand that other Marxist approaches don't?
1: I think I would say that the main implication for IR is that UCD brings a distinctive approach to international affairs, which we can call international historical sociology. According to this approach, Marxism was right to say that the emergence of industrial capitalism had incorporated the whole world into an interconnected process of development, and it thereby created what Trotsky called the social structure of humanity. But at no point has this structure been a homogeneous one. It has always been uneven and combined meaning that it comprises a multiplicity of societies of different kinds at different levels of development. And at every stage, it's not the pure logic of capital which explains things, but rather the actual configuration of different societies, together with the social, political and economic effects of their interaction. So, for example, the original Industrial Revolution dramatically widened the unevenness of world development because industrializing societies in Europe now coexisted with agrarian societies everywhere else, and the resulting power differential produced the global climax of imperialism in the late 19th century. At the same time, the historical unevenness of development within Europe produced the social and geopolitical roller coaster of a balance of power being overturned repeatedly by the industrialization first of Britain, then of Germany, then Russia leading ultimately into the causes of the First World War. The interwar 20 years crisis cannot be understood outside the coexistence of liberalism, Stalinism and fascism, all of which again reflected divergent political outcomes of a global process of uneven and combined development. In the post-war period, the configuration changed again, and the combination of social democracy, Stalinism and an emerging Third World created the specific dynamics of the Cold War. And finally, the post-Cold War era has been called the age of globalisation, but actually I would say that it has been driven by the largest unevenness in the whole of modern world history, namely the historical intersection of neoliberal capitalism in the West with the flood of super-cheap labour produced by the so-called late-late industrialization of China. In all these cases, it's neither the pure logic of capital nor the pure logic of geopolitics that explains the overall shape of international affairs in a given historical conjuncture. Rather, it's the way in which the global process of uneven and combined development configures and reconfigures the social structure of humanity. So, in other words... The sociological implication for the study of IR is that UCD incorporates the international dynamics of coexistence, interaction, and combination into a historical sociology of world orders. So what about the implications for Marxism? Well, on the one hand, the good news is that it means that all those writers who argued that Marxism could not produce a genuinely international theory were mistaken because UCD is all about the logics that arise from multiple coexisting societies. In fact, one might even say that it achieves the very thing that Kenneth Waltz claimed was impossible, a non-reductionist sociology of the international in which second image and third image causal logics are integrated within a single theory. On the other hand, I guess this is the the bad news, depending on your point of view, UCD also challenges Marxism to reflect much more critically on its own political practice. Why did Marxist-Leninism degenerate into totalitarianism in both Russia and China? I think this question can be answered only by locating Marxism itself within the history of capitalism's uneven and combined development. Doing so comes with a high price as I tried to spell out in a recent article called Trotsky's Error, because it means that we have to rethink the idea of revolution itself. But I think that's a price worth paying if the emancipatory promise of Marxism wants to have a future in the very different post-Cold War world of today.
0: Thank you so much for your answer. Um, as you said before, UCD makes ontological claims about the multilinear and interactive nature of social reality itself, which could potentially entail a radical revision of modern social thought. Would you already speak of an international turn in the humanities disciplines? And if so, how has this turn taken shape?
1: Well, the IR debate on UCD has already been taken up in other, dis- other human disciplines, especially in geography, anthropology, development studies, History and comparative literature. Whether this grows into a wider international turn, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But within IR, the materials for pushing it in that direction are also being forged in two main ways. First, there is a new generation of UCD scholars in IR. You can see them in the special issue on UCD published by the Cambridge Review of International Affairs in 2021, and they are very deliberately branching out into other fields like ecology, cultural history, science and technology studies, comparative literature, and even science fiction. So they are initiating the international turn from within IR. But secondly, there now also exists a kind of spin-off from UCD, and that's the growing literature in IR on multiplicity. The Multiplicity Project began in 2015 Uh, with the Car Memorial Lecture, which was called International Relations in the Prison of Political Science. And in that lecture, I argued that the fact of societal multiplicity is the fundamental premise of IR as a discipline, and hence also the source of our contribution to the social sciences and humanities. And so I tried to work out what are the consequences of this fact of societal multiplicity for the nature of social reality in general and in that lecture i found five such consequences and i do think they provide a kind of template for an international turn because you can use them to uncover the international dimension of any subject matter my hope is that the multiplicity program will help this international turn by drawing in scholars from a wider spectrum and that's certainly been happening so In terms of broadening its base within IR and reaching out beyond it, I guess I would say yes, the international turn has already started.
0: Great, thanks. That's again good news, but let's move on to the criticism that have been advanced against UCD. So UCD has been criticized for collapsing a law into a theory in IR that, according to Teschke, allegedly violates a central tenet of Marx's dialectical method, namely the perpetual interrogation of the relationship between the abstract and the concrete. And moreover, Ryu has argued that UCD advocates a methodological positivism that explains more and more about less and less. Indeed, UCD has been applied to a range of very different phenomena from the Mongol invasions, Chinese nationalism, pre-modern Iran, and the First World War to Brexit and Trump, as you just said. How can UCD defend its explanatory power in the face of its trans-historical application to this variety of epochs, really?
1: Okay, so I guess there are four big criticisms in there. That UCD collapses a law into a theory, that it's too general to say anything because of its transhistorical orientation, that it confuses the abstract and the concrete, and that it ends up endorsing a positivist methodology. So let me take those four one by one. The claim that UCD collapses a law into a theory is very important, because if it's true, then UCD becomes a gigantic circular argument. But is it true? Let's just have a look. When Trotsky says that unevenness is the most general law of the historic process, he means that the history of human society has never been singular. It has always involved a plurality of social entities of whatever kind. So that's the law. It's not a causal claim. It's a descriptive generalisation. Meanwhile, the theory is an argument about what follows from the law, namely that societal multiplicity generates pressures and opportunities which force societies to combine with each other through interaction. And that means that social development cannot be understood in unilinear, internalist ways. It always has a dialectical international angle to it as well. And this is what the theory then enables us to grasp. But the theory is not collapsed into the law. It's what follows if the law obtains. So then a second criticism is that because UCD makes transhistorical claims about reality, it's too general to explain anything. And this charge has, become, has come mainly from Marxist scholars. And in a way, that's funny because Marxism itself is built upon trans-historical claims of exactly this kind. Mode of production, exploitation, even class struggle, all of these are trans-historical concepts. Marx and Engels even begin the Communist Manifesto by saying the history of all hitherto existing societies is the history of class struggle. How much more trans-historical can you get than that? But we don't accuse them of explaining everything and nothing And that's because they then go on to show that class struggle takes radically different forms in different cases. And it's only by historicizing the concept for a given setting that we can apply it at all. And yet it still plays a defining role in Marxist theory because it's this transhistorical general abstraction about the importance of class struggle or production that tells us where to look in order to find the key social relations in any given society. And it's the same with UCD. What uneven and unevenness and combination mean will differ, often radically, from one historical situation to another. But what the concepts tell us is that they will always be present in some form because human history is intrinsically multiple and interactive. And our task then is to identify that particular form in a given case and to investigate the role that it plays in social order and social change. Now, I think this also um, begins to address the third criticism, namely that UCD has not properly thought through the relationship of the abstract to the concrete. Because actually, UCD writers have repeatedly argued that we need to distinguish carefully between three different levels of abstraction and how they relate to each other. There is the transhistorical general abstraction which I've just discussed. Then there is UCD as a so-called concrete abstraction which analyses how historical unevenness works specifically in the modern era of capitalist world development. And finally, there is UCD as a mode of conjunctural analysis. At this level, UCD analyses individual events by looking at what Trotsky called the concrete correlations of different causes that intersect in any given historical moment. So if you take my recent co-authored article on Brexit and Trump, the argument there draws very self-consciously on all three levels and how they interrelate. Now, of course, the argument that it makes may still be wrong in other ways, but I think the one thing that cannot be said is that it doesn't involve a perpetual interrogation of the relationship between the abstract and the concrete. And then finally, there is the criticism that UCD is based on a positivist method. Now, I think this criticism comes from a focus on my 2013 article on Kenneth Waltz and Leon Trotsky. And I think that narrow focus may actually be the problem with the criticism, because in reality people have been reconstructing UCD through a variety of methods of concept formation. So in my 2006 version, I used the language of historical sociology. In my 2008 exchange of letters with Alex Kalinikos, I used Marx's dialectical method from chapter one of Capital. In 2013, I also made the case in terms of the philosophical premises underlying social theory, And in the same year, it's true, I did take up the language of Waltzian neorealism. But the point of that was not to embrace positivism. It was to to show that the significance of UCD was so fundamental that it could even be articulated in the language of mainstream IR theory. It was a demonstration of the breadth of possible methods, not a restriction to positivism. Now, once again, All this doesn't necessarily mean that UCD fully succeeds as a theory, but if it fails, that's unlikely to be because it's positivist, or it's too general to say anything, or it doesn't attend to the abstract and the concrete, or it collapses a law into a theory, because I think on closer reflection, it seems that all of these criticisms can be answered.
0: Great. Thank you so much for this, yeah, really convincing defense of UCD. But let's take a look at more current issues. What can UCD tell us about current crises and global conflicts? Let's take, for instance, the Russian aggression on, on Ukraine. The person of Putin is certainly not the only decisive mover of the conflict, as it's often portrayed in the media and in popular commentaries, but cannot be disregarded either. How would UCD explain then the causes of war in the context of individual agency?
1: I think the short answer to that is that it would not, at least not like that. If major events really could be adequately explained in terms of individual agency, then there would be no need for social science. And UCD is very explicitly a social scientific theory which tries to explain things by reference to the coexistence and interaction of unevenly developed societies. So how would UCD explain the Ukraine conflict? Well, two things appear obvious at the outset, and they both relate to uneven development and the whip of external necessity. First, power relations among societies are uneven, not just across space, with some being stronger than others, but also across time, with powers rising and falling. And in this respect, the big story over the last 30 years in continental Europe, has surely been the collapse of Russian power in the region and the eastward expansion of Western influence and power to fill the gap. Ukraine, as we know, was the big remaining population and territory in this process. And for well over a decade now, it has been the object of a tug of war between the two sides, which already broke out into military conflict in 2014. But secondly, uneven development also has a qualitative social dimension. Russia coexists with liberal democratic societies in the West, which represent a different principle of political legitimacy to the automatic, uh, autocratic character of the post-Soviet Russian state. And as NATO and EU influence have spread eastwards, they have been accompanied by colour revolutions, which on paper anyway, Embraced the liberal democratic principle and threatened to provide a demonstration effect for regime change in Russia as well. In fact, both sides see the spread of the other side's principle, whether it's democracy or autocracy, as a threat to themselves. So the military threat is heavily overdetermined by a socio political threat too. So, in this, st- in this respect, we can see the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a new stage in Russia's attempt to control the uneven and combined development of post-Cold War Europe. In a similar way, Trotsky said that Tsarist Russia tried to protect itself by blocking the spread of liberal re- revolutions across Europe in the 19th century uh, using military interventions. Now, all this might sound like just another realist analysis, but there is, I think, a big difference Unlike the political realists, Trotsky thought that the role of the international was not just a deterministic, tragic one that led to mass violence and war. He argued that through international interaction, capitalist development would combine with Russian society to produce a new and unique political dynamic. And this would lead to a completely unexpected possibility of collective agency and revolutionary change. That, if you like, was The political genius of ucd as a theory and how it connected directly to the question of agency in trotsky's lifetime so the question then is can we see any equivalent creative possibility arising from the current situation i don't know it certainly looks like the invasion of ukraine has backfired in ways that could affect the stability of the current regime in russia And perhaps that will trigger new political dynamics there. But it also appears that the war is radically impacting the political scene in Western countries as well. So the key point here is that whether the outlook is positive or negative, what we're going to have to analyse is the dialectical relation of sociological and geopolitical dynamics. We're going to have to analyse the ongoing process of uneven and combined development. And this process, I think, will be full of surprises that only a properly dialectical method like UCD will be able to understand.
0: Right. Thank you so much. Interesting. And that maybe also like already draws on my last question because um, I would like to ask you about your future research projects and also maybe some reading recommendations for our listeners.
1: Thank you. Yes, I have two main research projects in hand. The first is a book-length treatment of UCD, which spells out in a single argument all the issues we've touched on today. And the second is an anthology of Trotsky's writings on UCD. At the moment, these writings are very fragmentary and they're spread across a range of texts. And I'm hoping that bringing them together in one place will provide a helpful resource for future scholarship. So what would I recommend right now for anyone interested in looking further into the UCD literature. Well, I would always recommend starting with Trotsky's 12-page chapter at the beginning of the history of the Russian Revolution. It's the fullest account that he ever gave, and it remains a classic. Then, for an introduction to how the idea has been reconstructed for IR today... I gave a a professorial lecture which tried to provide a clear, brief introduction to the idea. You can find that on YouTube, and it was also later published in 2016 in an edited volume called Historical Sociology and World History. So I think that might be a useful way in as well. Then for a more recent overview of the literature, there is the introduction to the 2021 special issue on UCD, in the Cambridge Review of International Affairs. That provides a lot of references to key sub-debates, and it also identifies some of the key contributions, such as anyeva Samnissanglioklou's book on how the West came to rule, or Cameron Martin's engagement with post-colonial theory, and his writings on political Islam. But it also introduces all the other articles in the special issue, so you can see how people are using ucd to engage with a wide variety of issues and then finally if you want a real literary treat i would still recommend isaac deutscher's three volume biography of trotsky as i mentioned earlier on this was what got me started on ucd nearly 30 years ago and to my eye it still reads as fresh today as when i first encountered it
0: great i will include all these recommendations in the show notes I think we've already come to the end. Justin, thank you so much for this incredibly insightful and rich overview you gave today. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure all our listeners did as well. I'm wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thanks. Thank you, Judith. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Please find all information on today's interview guests and host in the show notes. Voices, the EISA podcast, is available on all established podcast platforms. If you liked it, subscribe now. Voices, the EISA podcast, feeds your reading lists, makes cutting-edge IR research audible.